This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Material is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, my name is Alexandra Suzanne Greenwald. I am a personal stylist at alexandrastylist.com in Manhattan. And the reason I love materials is because I really feel, after working with women for 16 years, that fabrics can transform how you look and how you feel just based on the weight or the texture. Your customers may always be right, but are they actually going to tell you about it? Coming up, we're going to talk to the person who's in your customer's closets, helping them make key decisions, and she's got advice for you. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto, and Samantha Cortez. So, Alexandra, you're the first stylist here with us in the show. We thought it was very important to have you on board because you really do care what the client is interested in, what they're wearing, and what type of materials they utilize. Can you talk us a little bit more about that? Yes, thank you so much. I'm super honored to be here on your podcast as the first stylist. So... Yes, I think that fabric is one of the most important things, working with my clients one-on-one as a personal stylist, because oftentimes we're, you know, as we get older as women, we have like lumps and bumps or, you know, natural curves and natural um, cellulite. It is inevitable. And depending on which fabric you choose, like that can either make that look worse or make it disappear. So in the beginning, when I work with my clients, we are often talking about what shapes of fabric, what shapes of outfits look best on them, like what cut of a dress, and then what fabrics to shop for, like a mid-weight or a a lightweight or a medium-weight. So we we go into depth about... um, you know, what fabric content they should be looking for, what it should feel like. Uh, Also looking at the label. A lot of my clients are very conscious about not buying things that are dry clean only. So we look for fabrics like cottons. Which is so important, right? Because a lot of times, you know, we've been talking to the industry, but particularly to the businesses that are either manufacturing the textiles or the big brands and companies that are using them. But at the end of the day, All of these don't serve a purpose if it's not getting into the hands of the end customer and this isn't what they want and what they need and what they're going to wear and what their preferences are. It can look great on a runway, but in the real world, if it it doesn't look good, it's just not going to sell, right? So have you found in your experience looking at kind of customer preferences over the past, I think you said 16 years you've been doing this, what has changed in the dynamic? What are really good go-tos and what are stay-away-froms? I think the consumer has become more educated and more interested in fabric content. I know that uh, when there was the crisis of cotton and when all of a sudden goods, like the price started going up, I think it was, yes, a crisis, but it also made the consumer more aware of fabric as, you know, 
an important factor of the garment. I look for cotton a lot. Um, but yeah, I just... Um, when you look for cotton, does it have to be organic cotton? Are you finding people are made in U.S.? Well, people so that's getting into like a huge, huge issue that I have lately become more and more passionate about. So there are companies like Karen Kane that are like manufacturing in the U.S. And I just did a video last week about how uh, how most people don't know that these practices, these non-ethical fashion practices. So yeah, for, for, for my clients, cotton with stretch is very important. Ponte knit is very important. Trina Turk is a company that I love the cotton dresses that she makes because mm -hmm. they just, they skim exactly the right way. I don't know. I haven't looked in to see whether it's organic. It's certainly very, um, for me, I care about organic, but what I've struggled with is that in the organic market, what's in the marketplace tends to be very casual, tends to be sweatpants, sweatshirts, t-shirts. And my average customer is really dressing for the workforce, dressing to feel powerful, look powerful. And I've yet to find a company that is working in that space of merging ethical, sustainable, you know, organic and yet powerful power dressing. So how do you find your clients? And how do you Most go of them, about them find me. I find that they they often have to be ready for a change. But the short answer is Google. A lot of people come to me from Google. What do those target customer profiles look like? I mean, is it the the woman in the workforce who's just sick and tired of wearing the same black suit every day on Wall Street, and her but her closet has a ton of stuff that she never touches, full of color? That's me and my former life as an attorney. Like, is is that the target customer? Who do you look for? It's de that's definitely it. Yeah, it's definitely the working woman. It's definitely not the lady who lunches. I have yet to meet that woman. I feel like we're all on a mission. We're all doing something in the world. Um, but more importantly, it's someone who's been through a change. And that change could be a job promotion. It could be a divorce. It could be a weight change. It could be a child leaving the house. It could be an inner decision. So usually some change prompts them to take a look at their closet and realize what they've been doing isn't working and they really want to change and so feel better. So you go into their closet like those TV programs and you'd like strip it apart and tell them this yes and this is no. <laughs> I like to think I'm a little bit like kinder. I actually felt that show was a little bit problematic for a bunch of reasons. I felt like the idea that they took away their whole closet seemed to me very harsh, like stripping them of all their identity and I'm just and not sustainable. Either. Yeah, it's and not sustainable. A lot of for maybe no reason. The other thing that show never did is they never showed the tailoring that went on behind the scenes. And I think this is an area that the consumer could be more educated about. That the reason celebrities look good, so good on the red carpet is because they've had hell of ass tailoring the wazoo. So the garment is fit perfectly custom. to them, almost to the level of custom made. So the average consumer thinks, oh, I should be able to buy a size six and just put it on, everything be perfect. No, the reality is I'd say half the time, 
things have to be altered, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on the so customer. You do that for your client? Yeah, so tailoring is a big part of the education and a big part of the process. And it's interesting, right? I mean, that's such a global problem for these businesses and brands with fit and and how you can make those twos, four, sixes. They're, no matter how many fit models everybody tries and all the different standards from Europe and U.S., it never, ever, one size six, I'm still a size eight or 10 and something else and a two and something else. It makes no sense to, you know, to me who, and I don't come from a formal fashion background or training in this, but I know that there's some interesting companies like FitLogic and a few others that are trying to come up with those universal grading and fit systems, which obviously makes sense from a business perspective as well as a sustainable perspective. Um, I wonder as you're kind of working with your customers and they're at this pivotal point where they want to the change and self-identity how much of it is you coming in and telling them I know it's not direct Mm. telling them what they want to need and how much is them exploring and trying on and finding and where's the balance I always say in the beginning we are co-creating together their look so I am pulling out elements of them I'm getting them to express what is inside and then we make a physical manifestation of that visually you know I like a Pinterest board or a mood board we're pulling that out of her and then I'm translating how that would look for her now how that would be appropriate in her lifestyle so yeah that was another issue for me with what not to wear I felt that they were putting something on them versus like I feel like I'm uncovering something that's already within my client and we're just making the most beautiful manifestation of it together you do actually create a mood board an inspiration board for them yes together we do a mood board or a pinterest board depending on you know are they more arts and craftsy or do they want to pin well then it's interesting because you're also empowering them to make further choices going forward as they are fitting into and finding this self-exploration because so much of fashion and design and creativity you know on the one hand it seems like it's these big brands and during fashion week and they send something down the runway and everybody, you know, ooze and ahs over it. And it's kind of, but are you being forced into a certain look? And, and don't get me wrong. I love going to the shows. I love seeing the haute couture fashion, but in practicality with what we actually wear and what we're consuming, how much of it is us being able to alter and change and find our own self-identity? Or is it being told what the celebrity influencers are wearing and You know, Kim Kardashian wore it yesterday, so I I try to go buy something similar and wear it tomorrow. I would consider myself anti-fashion. I know that sounds really dramatic, but I was in that world. I do not subscribe to that world anymore. And I feel like that world confuses the consumer. I've, I've had to help clients not beat themselves up because they can't wear a certain item. I got a very hilarious call yesterday from a male who I don't serve men and he he uh he called me up and he he told me his name and he he asked me I said you know what are you looking for and he said I bought this Rick Owens piece from the runway two years ago I love Rick Owens and I haven't figured out how to wear it I would love to wear it but the there's a hole where you expose your penis I know. I was like dying. Uh, and so, of course, I I, I, mean, I was trying to be empathetic. I was like, I, 
I hear you. I understand your your frustration. I don't actually serve male clients. May I connect you with a, a colleague that I believe might be able to help you? Can I have your email address? And he hung up on me. Now, I'm not sure if he was like a pervert or, but he seemed, cause he was like, I really what? want to go into the Rick Owens store and wear this piece and show it off, but I don't know how to wear it without underwear or with underwear or like, and he, but that's, you can imagine, I mean, a Rick Owens piece, they are the over the top. Yes, like, that is super what it's over the top, for. but like. The average woman has something in their closet that they saw on the runway or they saw in a magazine or they saw in a store and it, it, it fed something or it represented something, it sparked something and they brought it home and then they tried to wear it a bunch of times and got frustrated and felt like they were something wrong with them. Right. And the reality is, is that's what I call orphan syndrome. When you have a bunch of these fabulous pieces that don't have mates, you have a bunch of orphans. And I see that a lot. I see literally like closets where it's orphan, 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 and then no basics to make the orphan statement pieces look good. So out of curiosity, and I, I don't know th about this at all, how many of these brands are actually employing in their workforce stylists or tastemakers, people who are not part of the design process, but have an eye to their end consumer and what that person is actually wearing, if any, or are they just not? And is it the I've not seen it. I would welcome it. I actually was dying to talk to higher ups at Lord and Taylor and Saks Fifth Avenue because what I saw the what they were doing with how they were buying for their store was so opposite of what their actual customer walking around the store was looking for. So yeah, I've never been asked by a company to come in and speak about like, what's the consumer's reaction to this? Like, what are they actually wearing? What are they actually buying? Because Lord and Taylor, they increased their evening wear. They increased their what I call red carpet wear. They decreased their workforce day-to-night dresses. They decreased their plus. They decreased their petite. Well, the petite and plus women haven't gone away. They're just even more sad because mm -hmm. they're wandering around going, where's all this stuff for me? Saks eliminated petite. Saks eliminated plus from their store. Yet that consumer... The average consumer with a lot of money is nine times out of time, 10, a plus, a plus size or 10, 12, 14 mm -hmm. size or consumer or petite. And that's the market that has all the money, not the 20 year old runway forward, avant garde, let's look like a fashion victim. That 20 year old is, I, I don't think, future a huge, huge revenue generated generator and then they complain yeah i mean you could shoot me you could shoot me <laughs> no but then they complain that their their numbers are not up <laughs> no they, that's yeah why and I then now the lord and taylor is being taken over by we work they're losing their flagship and this is like a landmark space that's been department store for since like the 1850s or something 
But that's why it opened up, obviously, an amazing business opportunity for you. And we always say, if you know, to the bigger businesses out there, there are advantages for entrepreneurs and to think like an entrepreneur a little bit in your business. And maybe they need to start thinking of employing or consulting with people like you who are on the ground and touching their end consumers if they really do want their numbers and, to And hearing, because like I hear from the consumer... I'm not buying that because feel the fabric. It feels like crap. Or I'm not buying that because the price point. Or I'm not buying it because I can't wash it. I mean, I hear all this real, real feedback that if, like, you were the president of Saks and you asked a consumer, they would be like, oh, I love your store. Everything's great. It's, it's. Well, I'm staring at some snacks (laughs) and I'm dying. So what did you bring us to eat? So I am in my free time a mini baker I like to bake so I baked you a gluten-free dairy-free pumpkin bread and I brought because I am dairy-free and gluten-free and I think this is one of the best amazing breads that I make the quick breads and perfectly timed for this time of year this time of year oh I cannot wait we are going to eat this now and then we will be back soon with Alexandra and hear why she literally wrote the book on why you should love what you wear The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. So, Alexandra, I am sitting here having just had delicious pumpkin bread. It is so good, thank you. You can never tell that it's gluten or dairy-free. And I'm looking at this book that we are going to get to, Love What You Wear, that is hot off the presses. But before we get into that, just curious, how did you get into this? What inspired you and wanted you to start doing this and do it differently than other stylists? Hmm, That's such an interesting question. It really dates back to junior high. I was uh, old for my age, and I was going to be stayed back a grade in fourth grade. So I changed schools. And at this new school, I was like the new girl. And I sort of felt like a fish out of water, and I felt kind of dorky, and I I didn't feel cool. And I was desperately wanting to be in what I thought was like the cool kid circle. And I was experimenting a lot with my look and my clothes, but yet things never really looked right on me. So I was buying things like multiples, and then I was pegging them and rolling them up, but they were like seven sizes too big for me. So I kind of looked like a ridiculous jester. (laughs) It was not pretty. I've got the (laughs) pictures to prove it. But then... So I struggled all my youth with not feeling uh, part of the group or part of uh, feeling included. 
or feeling, yeah, feeling included. So it wasn't until after college that I got training in color analysis and shape analysis that I really started cracking the code on on my own body and how to dress my best and how to start feeling empowered and confident and powerful. And I really felt that I dressed, I used style as a super weapon. I used it to become the person that I wanted to be. And then once I learned that, I really felt like I wanted to share that with other women because I had just not felt part of, I felt so many sort of separate and i think so many women struggle with that in all aspects of our of our lives socially yeah and i can appreciate just looking at the title of your book love what you wear and a lot a lot don't i mean i happen to love what i wear yes a lot i dress in all black and I, but and my leather but i love it um, but but a lot don't and they struggle and so can you tell us where did this book and all these books come about and and what made it so, what is so different in them about the traditional way of thinking about style mm. to sound a little woo woo i think i'm a little bit more holistic than most. This book came came about because I found that I was working with the same type of woman, this woman that was living here in New York, but also had maybe one, two or three other residences. And I found that this woman was struggling in a way that was unique to this subset. And I found that all of like, there was three at once that I was working with, I was like, all these women are have the same problem. And yet none, I felt like the fashion magazines weren't covering their challenges and then solutions for their challenges. So it was really like a no brainer. It was a hole that I saw in the market. I felt like there was a lot of people talking about dress uh, like a million dollars for $5, you know, discount dressing. And then there was a lot of people talking high-end like harper's bazaar and vogue and like wear designer everything and yet there i felt like there was very few people talking about this real woman in the middle just wants to look sophisticated elegant put together every day no matter where she is in the world yeah so the digging into the book it 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 goes into perspectives of the person or how, do, how there's definitely stories yeah so there's client stories lots of client stories in there. Is it follow the same format on the other three books that you have, uh, two books that you've written? Oh, no, not at all. Actually, the first book that I wrote was more of an ebook for people who wanted to break into fashion styling. And then the second book was a resource guide. I really, I decided it was more for my clients. I realized that I was telling them, here's the best place to get your bra fitting. Here's the best place to get your nails done. Here's the best place for this tailor. And then I decided, what if I just had one book that had all of these juicy resources? And then of course I got excited, <laughs> started adding more and more and more and more into that book. So my second book, Bedded by a Stylist, was uh, the resource book. And then this was the first book that I told client stories and also spoke about my process and also how to deal with mastering your style in multiple homes. And you did say that we could download it, right? Oh yeah. I, I love your, I'd love to gift your audience members a copy. They can just simply Yay. send me an email 
Awesome. Uh, at ag at com. If you send me an email with the subject line love, I'll get you a free copy, advanced copy of this book because it'll be in stores in May. Awesome. So as you're looking at these books and kind of the state of the industry right now, I always, th and where it's going, it's, we're obviously at this very interesting time and tipping point when it comes to fashion and anti-fashion and sustainability and independent emerging designers. How much, if at all, does that play into your styling thought process, any of your go-to resources and places, and where do you think it's ultimately going with customizing of clothing? Are we all going to be just printing it at home in our closet custom? Oh, it's a loaded question. You are, <laughs> you are speaking my language. At 12 years old, I wrote notes for a custom-made clothing company. That was my dream Good as idea. a 12-year-old. I was like, I want to ha you know, have a company that makes custom-made clothing. And you go into a, a pod room, and they scan your body. And then you go to a little computer, and you say, I want a dress, and I want this neckline, and this hemline, and oh, wow. this fabric, and this color. And then poof, it arrives to your door. That was my 12-year-old idea. Can someone please do that company? Because <laughs> I am busy with my styling practice. <laughs> but back to your initial question about how does the market enter my thought process? I like to know about everything that's out there and then cut the bullshit and then just go for what's going to work for my clients. So I, I like to know and study and hear about everything. But at the end of the day, I'm very focused about what my client is going to love. And I do get a lot of PR people contact me with press releases. I don't know why they think I would be interested because it's a lot of things they send me are completely off topic, off brand for so men, for the, kids. You, you don't go to the runway shows anymore, right? I don't. I don't. I used to. I used to sit proudly in front row and now I it proudly not <laughs> yeah no there is that whole interesting kind of anti-fashion movement and what does this mean and how can we think more thoughtfully and more custom and more personalization and to your point about that dream you had as a child there are startups now starting to I think find not the whole picture yet from start to finish but pieces and parts of where we can start to do it differently and do it better and make it custom and 3d print and less waste and more off the runway, real people clothing. So hopefully, you know, that is, that is a part of it. So it's really interesting right now to your point as a child where you were dreaming as 12 years old of this custom collection. And there, I know there are some great startups starting to do some really interesting work in different parts of the supply chain. Are there any you've worked with or any that have been interesting to you? Yeah, absolutely. True Galt is a very exciting company to me and i've actually incorporated their product into my process so my back end my year of style includes custom-made shoes from true galt and my role in that is i help the consumer my client pick the perfect style for their wardrobe that we've shopped for and the perfect colors and the perfect you know the perfect shoes so for those who don't know, can you tell them what True Galt is? Oh, so True Galt is they scan your foot with an iPhone app and then you order your custom made shoes through their app and they use the 
data of the scan to make sure the fit is phenomenal. And they arrive in about three weeks. It's pretty three to four weeks. It's pretty magical. Yes. And a lot of my clients, I found that the number one pain point they were coming to me was, I hate all my shoes. None of them fit. None of them leave my house. I wear like one or two of them. So it really solves this massive pain pain problem that my clients experience. Yeah, I can imagine as I'm sitting here hiding my feet because I have my sneakers on underneath, <laughs> even though the rest of me is somewhat put together today. Um, yeah, th no, I know True Gold and they're, they're doing very interesting stuff. And on the data analytics side too, right? They're collecting all this information about people's feet and their shopping behaviors. And obviously you as a stylist too are create collecting all this information about customers is there any opportunities and are you looking at doing anything with that information any reporting back to anyone anyone sharing to try to change the industry i would welcome it if there's a company listening that wants to hear my perspective i'm totally open to consulting that would be phenomenal in terms of your question you had a question about Earlier, we were talking about kind of where the industry is going ah. and the future of styling and fashion. One thing that I have noticed is challenging for my client, the, the shoe. I have to bring the customer to the shoe, to Trugalt headquarters for them to order. They don't download and then order on themselves. Hmm. They need that hand-holding. They need to see the shoe. They need to touch the shoe. And oftentimes, I have asked my client, do you want to do a custom made outfit because we're having trouble finding something? A lot of times they are afraid of that. So I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's that my customer is a certain avatar and a customer like me, like I embrace custom. I would totally order a custom dress. I have. But they're not there yet. But I, I don't. So besides I, that, so do you work with a lot on along those lines? Do you do you do work with a lot of companies that do um, designers that come to you and provide you garments and you cater it to to that particular designer, or is it random that you go to a client? You know that there's a match between the designers that you work with. Occasionally, if I'm dealing with a special occasion, I will match up a designer and a client mm -hmm. and we'll do something custom together. But that has happened so rarely, which hmm. shocked me because hmm. I, to me, that's super exciting. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes there's a fear on the customer's perspective. But well, maybe it's because they just haven't seen the output. You know, they can't imagine it. Like if there was a custom company that showed examples of their work and you could walk into like into like a little mini boutique and see and touch and feel the fabric yes. and know more what you are getting, I think the consumer might be more apt. But just ordering a custom made outfit from a computer screen, that may be a, a challenge. So if you don't do it by computer, you don't like Maybe to it's go to combo. the runway shows. You don't like the, the stores, how they retail. How do you match the designer and the um, your client? Oh, my gosh. Maybe I've given you the wrong impression. I, I, know, do, just, I do shop in stores. <laughs> I do like the, the internet. I just find that there the the there's a disconnect and oftentimes i will pin things for a client 
on their Pinterest board and they won't buy them. But if we're in the store together, we're in a big store and they're trying on clothes, they're buying. And then oftentimes I will prod the client, hey, hey, did you buy the thing on the Pinterest board? And they're like, oh, I haven't gotten around to it. So it makes me wonder, because this is a pattern I see over yes. and over. And it leaves room, right. It, it makes room, like, why I hasn't think, someone done this and where the bridging the gaps Yeah, I think the future is about merging the online yes. and the offline. And I so agree. And we actually, for my business, are looking at some technology, although it requires a little bit of hardware right now, which is why we haven't gotten into it yet, but where you can actually touch and feel the hand of the fabric through your phone, um, what you're looking at right now. And it's fascinating. It's not down to the real, obviously, fiber molecular mm. level yet, but you get a sense of the coarseness of the weight of how it drapes visually as well as physically onto your hand um, by blowing air through the hardware and the way it manipulates it. So it's very interesting. It still needs a lot of work, and are your end customers actually going to get the hardware to be able to feel it in the magazine when they look at it on their phone? But it does open that door, right, of having that experience. And for great for right now, we do the pop-up shops and the experiences. You can go touch and feel some of these custom things in then manipulate it. But in the future, maybe you don't even need that. I remember Gwenny B did a pop-up on Fifth Avenue. They do rentals for plus mm-hmm. size clothing. It skews very young, but I, I really applauded their their effort because it gave the consumer an opportunity not just to see them online, but to see their their clothing in person. And I thought that was a great thing. And I'd yes. love to see more companies that are solely online to do more offline stuff to reach the consumer. I kept saying to Sandra of True Galt, I I love the app, but I think to get people hooked, you're going to have to do pop-up shops or shoe parties or whatever Mm because the consumer doesn't trust you yet. Once they order one pair, they're like, okay, this is phenomenal. They order more. But... Before that, they're still skeptical. You're right. The power of experiences. We'll be back soon to get more into the personal side beyond just the professional with Alexandra after this. Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. I had a successful career, an Ivy League education, and led a very rational life. Several years ago, I had a spiritual awakening, developed psychic gifts, and decided to dedicate my life to pursue my purpose and empower others. I'm hungry to learn even more about the incredible potential of the human mind and spirit. On this podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs, executives, scientists, and leaders to hear their stories of transformation, the science behind them, and what it means for you to unlock your potential in your life and career. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. And now, it's Remnant. So, is there any other funny stories that uh, you would like to tell us? Yeah, so because I'm so visible on Google, I often get some 
interesting phone calls. And I got one last week from a gentleman in Ohio who introduced himself as Renee. And he was very interested in hiring me full time, like for the year, but he had some specific requirements. For example, he wanted to purchase designer shoes for me to wear during our sessions and wanted to purchase designer outfits for me during our sessions. And he wanted me to partake in the spa treatments during our sessions. Sounds all Fifty Shades of Grey. Exactly. Sounded like <laughs> so strange. But his, his he was Renee, so he sounded like a woman, but a man that was trying to be a woman. And then, of course, he had like all of these ideas about what he was going to pay. <sighs> And he was like, oh, and the night, we, the day we work together, will you honor me with your presence at dinner also? And all kinds oh, my of gosh, strange. that must be so freaky. It was so freaky. <laughs> and then, of course, to 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 work with me, I always take a credit card to secure the spot. And he was like, oh, no, 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 he got off the phone. And then he called me like a week later. And, of course, I had Googled his email address and found that he this is a thing he does and he's like Ugh. a true scam artist or Do you think weirdo the same guy that called you recently no no not josh no but yeah this renee called me back and i had already you know figured out his number and so of course i was like sorry no longer taking clients have a nice day good answer <laughs> but yeah it's just the, the price of being visible Absolutely. You get some real interesting stories. And the ones who should be ignored and the ones who should be responded yes. to. So if you weren't a stylist or when you're not styling, what do you enjoy doing? What would you be doing with your time and why? Oh, my God. I'm such a multi-passionate person. I love to swim. I love to horseback ride. You've tasted my baking. Baking is kind of like a secret passion of mine. But as a child, I dreamed of first being a ballerina and then second being a movie star. Wow. So <laughs> not that I would want to do either of those today. Well, but you live in New York and you work mostly in New York? Uh, yes, I am based here And in yet New you York. love the outdoors and baking, and typically our kitchen is for sweaters, and know. you know, outdoors you have to go upstate, but okay, it's close enough. I escape New York. I go to Florida. I go to California. I travel in the summer. I go to Europe. That's nice. I get around. So where in your travels, where are you getting your kind of styling and inspiration from? What has been great tools for you? The Mediterranean, I find, is like super inspiring. And nature. I went to Orcas Island last summer. Where's that? It's off the coast of Seattle. Oh. It's in the San Juan Islands. Nice. So kind of as you look back on your career, personal, professional life, any kind of message, thought, words of wisdom to leave our listeners with, whether it's a business lesson learned or styling practices, recommendations, or something not to do or to do? I think I want to speak a little bit about when I was a kid, this job, in my knowledge, didn't exist. It was not something that was in my periphery. And that's why I didn't dream it. And I, I, I get a, a lot of questions. Oh, how did you get into this business? And I always say, I kick the door down. Because 
there was no accidental falling into something or nothing like accidental. It was really intentional. And so if you're listening and you feel like you're a square trying to be in a round hole or you feel like there that you don't fit traditional because I used to I knew that fashion was in my future and style was in my future, but I didn't visualize myself as a designer and I didn't visualize myself as a pattern maker. I couldn't see myself in the traditional roles. And so I had to create my own role. And so I'd like to encourage anyone out there who's listening who feels like they don't fit, I say, forge your own effing path. <laughs> can I <Awesome>. swear? <laughs> And how can our listeners connect with you and with your business? Where can they find you? Oh, they can find me at www.alexandrastylist.com. And again, the email address to get a free copy of my latest book is A is an apple, G is in green at alexandrastylist.com. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so great to have you. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Thank you for listening. Back next time on Material Is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.